0: Well, if you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, um, I was going to say coming to Bible is like coming to church without any clothes on, but we wouldn't let you in the building unless you had clothes. So, but but uh, whether it's a, I still like the traditional Bible. That's the one I read from. Many people read from their phones, but uh, I like to take notes in my Bible. But if you've got one, Proverbs eighteen nineteen is where we're going. Um, We have been doing a series over the last few weeks called Building Relationships That Last. And when I say relationships, I'm talking about your marriage, your family, your children. I'm talking about your coworkers, the people you work with, the people on the ball team, the people in your whatever you do, your knitting circle or your fun circle or your small group or whatever. Um, The the intent of the series is to help you build healthy relationships that last a long time because you've built them on biblical principles. How many know it's a right way and a wrong way to build a life? Marriage vows, some marriage vows say, uh, uh, until death do us part. Some marriage vows say, as long as love will last. So which one you think is more biblical? See, so this is our culture has lost its biblical basis. Well, last week, if you were here, we kind of just start, started a two part that I'll finish today about why relationships fall apart. Why do people get divorced? Why do, you know, why do girlfriend, boyfriend break up? You know, why do fishing buddies, you know, butt heads and, and not able to get along? Well, uh, I, I, I likened it last week to uh, dropping a relationship bomb. And this is a B-17, World War II, and you see these bombs falling, and they, you know, they don't look very destructive now, but when they hit the ground, they destroy. Well, how many know you can say a word? I don't care how strong your friendship or marriage is, you can say words that can destroy the person. We talked about that a uh, week before last. There's actions we can take, things that we can do. Well, the first two bombs that we talked about last week were broken promises and broken trust. Now, today we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about unresolved offenses, unresolved conflict, and the failure to make time for people that we care about or in relationship with. And I think you're gonna benefit from this. It's called Relationship Bombs, Part Two. And uh, as we talk about this, I want you to think about those bombs from airplanes <laughs> that we can be intentionally or unintentionally dropping on people we care about. Let's look at the third bomb unresolved defenses have an inherent power to destroy relationships. Now, an offense simply means to be hurt or angry at someone for what they did. How I many can say, I've been there before, preacher? How I many can say, I'm there most every day? <laughs> There's always something that happens to hurt us, to make us angry. Well, Proverbs 18:19 says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Uh, Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with doors. I want you to think about this idea when someone gets offended, when they get hurt, when they get angry. Uh, perhaps your house has bars on the windows if not imagine one that you've seen bars on the windows my mom even has her doors even have exterior doors that have bars because somebody tried to break in one time well how many know that's a picture of a person that basically saying I'm not gonna let you in my life we're not gonna be close anymore I never want to speak to you anymore I never want to see you anymore as far as that goes this happens because of an offense uh, and let me know, offenses can last a long time. You, you've heard the phrase, time heals all wounds? It's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember somebody hurt my feelings. This was uh, a long time ago, fairly long time ago. And uh, I, I was no longer around them. I didn't see them very often. We didn't live close by. But I was cutting my grass. It's a true story. When I lived in Wake Village, I was cutting my grass seven years after this conflict erupted and I was still angry and rehearsing it inside now how does that help anybody but yet it's real in our lives and I'm going to help you with this today you know offenses can be uh for example uh, how many have seen the movie the Jesus revolution well it's tremendous wasn't it Listen, if you have a chance to see that, I highly recommend it. I don't know if it's still in our theaters, even if you had to rent it online, have some people over, but it's a true account of the Jesus movement during the 1970s. I came to Christ at the tail end of the Jesus movement, so it brought back a lot of memories to me, but one of the main characters in this movie was a young man named Greg Laurie. And uh, Greg Laurie, uh, the story starts, uh, he's sitting in a, he's 10 years old, he's sitting in a bar at a different table and his mom's trying to pick up this guy. And so he has a mom who's an alcoholic, he doesn't have a dad, or he, he doesn't know where his dad is or who his dad is, and he's just this hurting little boy. Well then mom decides she wants to move to California, mind you, this is true. And he says with tears in his eyes, daddy won't know where we are. And then she proceeds to tell him that you don't even know who your dad was. So this little kid is, is broken. They move to California, and as he gets older, she puts him in military school, and then he meets some hippies and runs away from home and quits school. Now, what happened to him? He was hurt. He was offended. He was angry. He felt abandoned, so he ran away. And this is the power of an offense of of what it can do. Now, the great news is he ran into some Christians. He became a Christian. And today he, he pastors one of the greatest churches in America. So how many know God can take our worst hurt and our worst brokenness and God can turn our pain into something good? Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. So. Uh, But but, but offenses happen, and there's typically two things that happen when we get offended. Number one, we withdraw from one another. We pull away. We close relationships. We unfriend people on Facebook, and, and that's typically because of our personality. That's me. If I'm mad at you, I'll let you know it, but I'll let you know it from a distance. There's others that are quite easy to blow up and tell us what happened and before anybody understand what I'm talking about I mean all you have to do is cross me just a little bit and I'm in your face buddy and I'm telling you why and I got my dukes ready to go (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I like kids and I like to tease with kids And there was one little boy in the coffee line today And I was going around fist bumping And I could tell he was about five That he was fixing to hit me real hard I mean, sometimes it hurts So I moved my hand And he kept trying to hit me And I'm moving and playing And then I said, I'm just faster than you And then I tipped his hat off And, 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 and then he did this <laughs> Now that's another way we respond <laughs> when we get offended, neither of those are good. And I want to suggest this to you. When we live with an offense, it becomes what the Bible calls a root of bitterness. Uh, I love to garden and I've been transplanting some trees around. I had some tree work done and I found this, the, the, I can't think of the name of the tree, but anyway, it was about this tall and it was in my asparagus bed, but I recognized the leaves. So I got my shovel and I dug down and it didn't come up and I kept digging. And before I knew it, I had dug up a root that was about that long. That was about the size of a carrot. And that's what an offense does. It grows. It's like a tumor. That's growing inside your body and it distorts things. Uh, Well, when that happens, let me show you a little picture here. When you let an offense grow in your heart, what you've done, John Bevere calls it the bait of Satan. And if you can imagine you're that fish, Satan is the fisherman and he's thrown something at you to make you angry, to hurt you. And what he wants you to do is bite it. Well, how many know we don't have to bite it, but there's a feeling that makes us want to. I'll be honest, last week I was working in my garden and I was getting offended at somebody just working in the garden because I, I had asked them to do something for me and they didn't do it and I had asked them. You know, I've been, I've been nice to them for a long time and it doesn't matter. Well, I was going to say it doesn't matter who it was, but I'll tell you who it was. It's the person sitting behind you. Now, don't look. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sitting there and I went literally about 10 minutes just getting mad at my friend's person, my friend. And I was getting mad at them. And finally, I just said, no, whether they're right or wrong, or I was right or wrong. Listen, that's not that big a deal. Don't let that hook get caught or you'll end up in the frying pan. Tell your neighbor, that was pretty good. I'm not going to let Satan control me. Now, I want to, I want to throw this out too, before I give you a solution, we can get offended at God. I don't have time to go into this deeply, but, but if, if we pray or something bad happens, anybody ever been offended at God? Uh, yeah. A lot of honest, it's hard. Um, i tell you, I got offended at God. Really one time in my life, I was about 21, 22. Uh, I thought I had fallen. Linnell, close your ears. I thought I had fallen in love with this gal and, uh, she dumped me when I left Alaska to Japan and I never heard from her again. And I was a man of faith at the time and I was believing and confessing and I won't go into the depth of it, but bottom line, a letter was going to come to me from her because I wanted her to be my wife. I didn't know that God had a better plan. I didn't know that there was a good, better and best. I never heard from her again. So I was going to show God. I just didn't go to church for two weeks. I just quit reading my Bible. And then finally, I came to the conclusion that where else is it to go that maybe God is still God? Come on. Even though she made a terrible mistake. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't say. But I married the best one and she's sitting on the front row for 40 years. All right, But you can get mad at God But let me encourage you, don't stay mad at God Let yourself get healed And, 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 and it might take a counselor But listen, don't let the devil win uh, What's a solution to offenses? Jesus gave us a big one, Matthew 18, 15 If another believer sins against you Now I would even suggest this would apply If a person, if, if your aunt, your uncle Or your, your, your work partner If they sin against you, what are you supposed to do? Go on Facebook, (laughs) go privately and point out the offense. And if the other person listens and confesses, you've won that person back. But how many find it real hard to go to the person? (laughs) I do. (laughs) Now look, I'd rather work through it. I'd rather pray through it and all that, but it's just hard for me to confront someone. But this, and this is the root of the thing. Jesus said, go to the person. If you're offended, here's the second one. Uh, because you know, sometimes people don't know they offended us. It happens all the time. I, I, you know, I could be I don't know what I had. This has not happened often, but it has happened. Uh, I was walking down the aisle of the church. It was at the older church, and I just kind of shook hands as I went down the aisle. And uh, I missed one person, not on purpose, but uh, she got offended. And uh, she told me a few weeks later, well, I mean, uh, we may not mean to offend somebody. and have no clue we offended them. That's why when we go to them and talk to them, uh, this can happen. But here's what we need to do no matter what happens. We need to forgive them. See, we, we equate forgiveness with who is right and who is wrong. But forgiveness cleanses our heart. Forgiveness stops feeding that root of bitterness. Forgiveness turns it over to God. Um, and, and it opens the door for recola- uh, reconciliation. Now, let me give you one more that I think is huge. If they, now, some relationships, they're just over. I mean, I mean, and they're not that big a deal. Maybe you were at a company, you got along good with whatever an employer, supervisor, the boss, and you moved on and that's just life. But there are some relationships that you want to work and it should be that way among believers. It should be that way among family. Come on now, people that are close to us. Let me give you a third thing to do that's so important. Keep communicating. Remember what Proverbs says? Proverbs says that offended person uh, is like a fortified city behind bars. Well, how many know if you keep slipping notes under the door? Come on now. If you keep knocking on the door and waving, if you keep doing things to act and show Christian love and that you care, how many know the Holy Spirit can soften their heart and this may well can happen? How many know God is a God of reconciliation? Give the Lord a, a good hand. All right. Let's talk about the fourth bomb, and it's called unresolved conflict. Now, it's similar to offenses, but unresolved conflict. We all know what conflict conflict is. You know, it's a disagreement that we have with someone that can escalate into even violence. Uh, 1 Samuel 18 is where I want to go, and this is, I, I, is kind of my favorite point or the heart of my message, but it's about David and King Saul. And I want you to think back in, in uh, the history of Israel. Uh, Saul was the first king. God didn't want Israel to have a king like the pagan nations, but they wanted one anyway. So God gave him Saul. And Saul was a good guy when he started out. He was godly. He prophesied. He was a good guy. But somehow power went to his head. He became disobedient to God. I mean, his life just messed up. And God decided, I'm going to replace him with David. Now, David is a shepherd boy, and David knew Saul. David had this ability to play on musical instruments, and the, the depression, the demonic spirits would leave. So he knew Saul, and he was going to be Saul's successor. Well, here's where, the, here's where the, uh, uh, this historical account begins. 1 Samuel 18, verse 6, uh, the victorious Israelite army, they had been out fighting the Philistines, Was returning home after David had killed the Philistine Goliath. Now everyone remembers the story. This little kid goes out and he picks up a rock, and this you know giant comes to kill him, and he whacks him in the head with a rock, and you know God wins. Well, all of a sudden, all Israel turns to the future king. Well, listen to what got uh, Saul angry. Um, David killed the Philistine, and the women came out to meet King Saul as they were coming back from battle. And they were singing, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his... Now, come on now. It was just one big dude. But what they did is they made a comparison between Saul and David, and it made David... Saul... Well, the next verse says it made him angry, and you can understand that. From that time on, and I want you to listen to the progression of how conflict works. From that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Verse 10, he began to rave in his house like a madman. Now, imagine you, David would come to his house. He was the boy that played, you know, played the instrument. He would rave like a madman. What was making him mad? These vain imaginations in his head. People were feeding him lies. People were telling him David was going to, you know, dethrone him or whatever the case was going to be, that David was just better than him and wish he'd get out of the way. Or the devil was just whispering in his ear. Anybody ever heard that voice? Well, he just becomes a madman. Listen to how it escalates. He had a spear in his hand one day, and he threw it at David. But David escaped. Now, Now, jealousy, anger, and violence. Fair to say that's the recipe for conflict? I'm talking a major one now. I'm talking about a knockdown drag out called the police kind of conflict, uh, that we're having here. And here's the deal. If you don't deal with conflict, the relationship is, is over. First, let me give you some wrong ways to deal with the conflict. And then let's go and find what da- what David did and how you see there's a positive way. Again, one wrong way, as we've mentioned is to withdraw and just give them the silent treatment. Anybody ever experienced the silent treatment for someone? Yeah, we all know what it's like. Well, guess what? They're offended at us, and they won't say anything, so you need to. Um, uh, They don't want to communicate. They don't want to deal with the issues. It's just over-let it go. And that root, though, of conflict is just growing deeper inside. It's like that tree root. It's just getting longer and longer and more established, and pretty soon you can't even dig the thing up. Are, Are you with me today? It grows that big. So don't withdraw, and don't lash out in anger and violence. Those are the two, you know, the two extremes. We either pull away or we pull into them, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, or you pull a knife or a gun or whatever the case is. Now, let's let David show us a positive way for conflict that changed the scenario at least for a season. Now, here's the first thing David did is he protected himself. Say, what do you mean, preacher? He ran away because his life was threatened. Now, let me say this. If you are in a relationship and there's a conflict and your life is threatened, get out of there. You say, but isn't a a wife supposed to, you know, respect and honor and submit and all those kind of things? Yeah, but you're not supposed to, come on, get beat up. You're not supposed to have a gun pointed at you to try to make you, quote, behave. But let me say this. It's not just men that have a problem with the temper. You've all read about the few unfortunate men that their wife went to bed with them and she had some scissors or or, or a knife. And let's just say he was never the same again. You say, what do I do? You separate. You don't divorce. You separate unto reconciliation and you get some help. That's a godly response to conflict, is to get some space in between you and get some help, okay? But, but, but first thing, David, is he protected himself. The second thing, number two, is he didn't seek revenge or get even. Now, how, how many would be honest enough to say, I've got a little of that in me. You mess with me, I'm going to get back at you. Bunch of fibbers. I was teasing somebody last night in the service about this. They were a golfer. And I said, what if you were on the golf course and both of you were hitting a Titleist 1? And there was this one drive that outdrove the other one by about 25 yards. And both of you assume it's your ball because there's no dots or initials on it. And you just in your heart know just, this, this, you know, bloody well, that was my ball. And the other guy, you know, he, y'all been golfing buddies a long time. But the other guy, you know, whatever, he just takes over and he's driving the cart and he pushes you out and lets you hit your, you know, the back ball. Well, then later on, while he's looking for his ball in in the rough, you find it and you go up to it and you go. Now, you're not playing mulligan golf like I used to play. You know, you dig it out and you put it and you can put it up on a tee. You can give yourself a nice lie. And he's not playing that kind of golf. He's playing the kind of real golf that you have to play it where it lies. So he's just about got to get a shovel to get his next shot. That's revenge. Um, David didn't seek revenge. Now, this is somewhat of a humorous story, but it's pretty powerful. It's 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now, in the course of events... Saul is still angry. David has run away. David has amassed a small army, but they're running away from Saul and his bigger army. Saul's trying to kill him. And uh, Saul has to go to the bathroom. Okay, get this picture. David and all his, they're hiding in this cave in the back of the cave. And I don't know if it was number one or number two. I get the two confused, but he had to go, okay? So Saul's in there, he takes his kingly robe off, he puts it on the ground, he does his business, and somehow David sneaks up on him and cuts off the corner of his robe, okay? He didn't get seek revenge, he didn't try to get even because his buddies are telling him in the back of the cave, this is God, man, kill that dude, nobody's with him, but he didn't do it. Now, listen to what he said, and this is, this is, this is going to go into the next point. He had a direct, honest conversation with Saul. Now, if, if he'd have been smart, he'd have just stayed in the back of the cave and letting Saul's army just go and disappear. But David didn't. He follows him out of the cave after he went to the bathroom, and then he says this, verse 11, Saul, understand and know I am not planning any evil against you. I did nothing wrong to you, but you're hunting me to kill me. I'm telling you, he had a direct, honest conversation with Saul. And a direct, heartfelt, honest conversation will solve most conflicts. Because when you get direct and when you get honest, if you're just halfway willing, somebody's going to say, I did not realize that hurt you that much. I am sorry. I have been like this all my life, and there's no excuse for it. I am a Christian, and I should not have done that. Most of it will end up that way if we'll have that direct conversation. And let me give you a last one, number four. Uh, David did right even when he was wronged, and it opened a door for the Holy Spirit to convict Saul. Now, you remember in Romans, I think it's chapter 12, when Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Feed him. If they're thirsty, give him drink. And then he says, it's like pouring hot coals on their head. Well, that's not to singe their hair off. It's a picture of conviction of God. Remember when Jesus said, turn the other cheek. These are all ways to open the door for the Holy Spirit to be able to come in a situation. Uh, Verse uh, 16, Saul said, now listen to this. Saul's standing here. His army's there. David is at the mouth of the cave. And Saul says this. Is that your voice, my son, David. my son? Is that your voice, my son David? Saul lifted up his voice and wept. wept. He said to David, you're more righteous than I am. You have repaid me good, whereas I've repaid you evil. And the best way I can tell you if you want to defuse that bomb of conflict is to do right. Instead of doing wrong, because it opens a door for God to intervene. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Uh, here's the fifth one. I'm gonna close with this. Failure to make time for people we love can destroy relationships. Now, John 11:54, Jesus gave us an example. How many know Jesus preached before multitudes? There were crowds of people around Jesus most of the time. But here in verse 54, he leaves Jerusalem. He goes to the village of Ephraim, and he stayed there with his disciples. So what's the point here? Jesus spent time with people that he cared about. He preached to the multitudes, but I think there are like 3 billion broadly professing Christians in the world today. That all started because 11 men were followers of Jesus and had spent time with them. It's not Jesus' sermons that were recorded that they changed the world. It was what he put into these disciples when he spent time with them. Now, I'm going to do something a little different now. Uh, does anybody, uh, ha, uh, how many were aware of what was going on in mid-70s, mid 1974? You remember a guy named Harry Chapin? He wrote a song called Cats in the Cradle yeah went to the top of the chart secular song uh, it, it made the top of the charts in his day, and probably unbeknownst to him, but he was conveying a biblical truth now i 'm not going to play the whole the whole song. some of you will be going back to your rock and roll past, okay <laughs> but I want to take out two parts of it. I want to take out a part where the little boy is ten year old, ten years old, and what dad how dad acts to him, and then later on, the second part, and you can 't tell the difference, we should have put more space but it'll go into a different scenario and the boy's about 30. And then dad is asking dad, dad is asking the son to spend time with me and listen to what he says here. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball that your mom let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And then he walked away, but his smile never did and said, I'm gonna be like him. You know I'm gonna be like him I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids are the flu But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad It's been sure nice talking to you And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me He'd grown up just like me my boy was just like me. Makes you sad, doesn't it? Give you a baseball at 10, but I don't have time to play. And then when you become 30, I want you to play. And I got time now, but you don't have time for me. Uh, listen to a comment. As I research this song, I found this, and it appears to be a true story. But uh, uh, it says, my mom told me, this is a young boy speaking, when I was eight, two years old to five, daddy would go to work from seven to five and then at seven o'clock until two in the morning he'd play baseball or go drinking with his friends on the weekend one night he and my mother were driving home and this song started to play on the radio mom remembers the car being in complete silence and she heard sniffling and she turned to see my dad crying with tears streaming down his face she said what's wrong And he turned to her and he said, do you think this is the example I'm setting for my son? Well, it was at that day my dad stopped going out so much and he spent much more time with my sisters and me. And I learned just how great a dad he really is. It was just a decision when he realized his mistake. The greatest gift we can give people we care about is our time and if we want our relationship to work, we've got to spend time. And here's the problem if I ask you how many are busy, everybody would raise their hand. If I asked you how many are busier than you've ever been in your life, many of us would raise our hand. But here's kind of the balance, and I'm going to close with this. So, a picture of my little granddaughter, Maria, uh, Mia. She's one and a half. Uh, and that's the swing set by our house. And I want you to notice on the right there, there's another swing that I'll talk about, but she loves to swing. And uh, uh, she just loves the outdoors, love to go outdoors. And she's one and a half and she communicates pretty good. Well, this past week, mom and dad went on a vacation and the grandparents got to keep Mia. And, well, grandma number one keeps Mia for the first few days. And then she comes to live with us on Sunday. Okay, and I'm thinking she's gonna be at our house the rest of the week, so I've got all week to be with her. Well, uh, Wednesday morning, true story, Wednesday morning, we're, uh, we just finished breakfast and I'm walking around and, and uh, uh, I was needing to get to work. I was needing to get to study and I, was, I had things to do. And she goes to the door and says, side. She's saying outside, side, side. And I'm thinking, but honey, don't you understand I'm a preacher. I have to start studying for my message on Sunday. Side. Side. So I finally made the right decision. I said, let's go play. So she takes my hand. We walk down to the little swing, and I put her in her little, you know, guarded swing. And, and she's swinging until my arms get tired of pushing. And then she starts going, ooh, 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 pointing at the other swing. And what she wanted was me to sit in the other swing and swing, and we held hands as we were swinging. Now, the next day, I'm still thinking we got time. But I asked Linnell what we're going to do with Mia today, and she said, oh, her other grandfather's coming to get her. And I could have missed the memory of a lifetime. Come on. But I chose to make time, and I pray that that ministers to you. Let's wrap up here, and and, uh, we're going to close with another worship song because I'm really... I want to encourage you to come and worship with us Tuesday. It's just different. all I know how to tell you. It's just different seeking the face in the presence of the Lord. It's Tuesday at 6. But here's what we talked about, these bombs. And I want you to take just a moment with the Holy Spirit. Last week, broken promises. These are bombs. Broken trust. Today, unresolved offenses, unresolved conflict. And lastly, spending time, failure to make time for people will destroy relationships.